the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTB is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. When the Jewish people turns away from Christ, God turned the gospel away from them as a nation. And he sent out his message into all the world so that Gentiles might hear the gospel. God has a purpose in Israel's stumbling, but it isn't their rejection, but the Gentile salvation. God has turned to the Gentiles. And what he's doing in this day and age is taking out a people from the world and he's building his church. In fact, the word church means a called out one. We will learn more about the reason why God has temporarily set aside Israel today on Verse by Verse. Welcome, this is Peter Silseth, and our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We are studying from Romans chapter 11, and we are considering the question of whether or not God has rejected Israel. But as we have been reading here in Romans, Paul said that it is not a permanent rejection, but a temporary situation that God has ordained for some very good reasons. One of the arguments used by those who say that Israel is eternally rejected is the hardening of their hearts. Let's pick up the lesson at that point. Here is Pastor Steve to conclude this three-part message. Israel was already hardened before Christ ever came. In fact, that's, that's nothing new. We look at John chapter 12, and I want to show you this is exactly what John said took place. John chapter 12, verse 37. But though he had performed, that is Christ, so many signs before them, these signs showing his authenticity, authenticating his messiahship, Yet they were not believing in him. Well, why weren't they believing in him? That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now that's Isaiah 53. For this cause they what? Could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted, and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. It wasn't that they wanted to believe. It wasn't that at all. They didn't say, oh, we have open hearts. No, they had closed hearts. It wasn't that they wanted to believe and God said, you cannot believe. I won't let you believe. No, God never does that. No, they didn't want to believe the truth down through the ages. So God hardened their hearts to the point that when the truth actually stood in their midst, they couldn't even see him for who he was. We look at Matthew chapter 21. I want you to see that Israel has always been hardened. Israel has always been blinded. This is not a new phenomena. The rejection of Christ is simply the consummation of their blindness and hard, hardened heart. It's not the cause of it. Matthew 21, verse 33. Listen, Jesus said to another parable. There was a landowner 
who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to the, the vine growers and went on a journey. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. And the vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Now, who do you think they are? They're the prophets. The father sent his prophets. We want some of them. And he sent, or they, or they, yeah, he beat them and then killed them. And he sent another group of slaves larger than the first. And they did the same thing to them. But afterwards, he sent his son to them saying, they'll respect my son. It's only a parable. It's only a parable, but you get the point. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Jesus said, which of the prophets did you not kill? And they also killed the son. I've always been hardened. Matthew 23, verse 37. All Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I mean, the Lord's heart is broken because they've rejected him. Who kills what? The prophets and stones those who were sent to her. This isn't anything new. My dear friend Marv Rosenthal loves to say this, so I'll quote him. He says, Israel was not just naughty but nice. Maybe you've read that or heard him say that. Israel has always been a stiff-necked, rebellious people. Always. Even before Jesus ever walked in their midst. Marv points out that there were times in Israel's history things got so bad they were actually sacrificing their children. Burnt offerings. Israel has never been the obedient people God wanted them to be. So we should never wonder if God has set Israel aside permanently and replaced it with the church. Why? Because the Old Testament scriptures simply confirm that the majority of Jewish people have always been disobedient and rebellious to God's word, and therefore they are hardened. God still has a plan for his people. See, that's the point. Unbelief on the, on the part of the majority has never canceled God's promises to them. So why do you think that they would cancel his promises now that they've rejected the Messiah? God's put up with this kind of stiff-necked rebellion all through their history. It's not new. It's not new. He works through chosen remnants who are not hardened. So Israel setting aside is not full, only partial. And the proof is the conversion of Paul, the chosen remnants, and the confirmation of Scripture. But there's a second truth here, wonderful truth, and I want you to get this. Israel setting aside is not futile. That, that means that there's, there's not a, it's not in vain. It isn't just something God did without a purpose. There is a reason behind it, I want you to see that. It's obvious that Israel has fallen from the place of covenant blessing. It's very obvious. Church at Rome, all they had to do was just look around them. And they would not see Goldbergs and they would not see all kinds of Jewish names and, and Steinberg and Steinstein and all of these. They would understand that. They would see that it is a predominantly Gentile church. In fact, Paul says in verse 13, I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles. By the way, those names are not necessarily Jewish. Those are Eastern European names. But you get the point. Paul says, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. So it was a predominantly Gentile church. God has, has set national Israel aside. She stumbled, but the question is why? Why has she stumbled in this way? I mean, even down through her, her rebellious past, God didn't set her aside. 
But he has set her aside at the rejection of the Messiah, hasn't permanently rejected them, but has set her aside from the covenant blessings right now for a time. Why? Verse 11. Paul says, I say then. Almost sounds like an Englishman. I say then. They did not stumble so as to fall, did they? What's he saying? Did they stumble so as to be beyond recovering? I mean, it is one thing to fall. It's another thing to stumble. Rather, it's another thing to fall with such a crash that you never get up again. Did they stumble so as to fall and never be able to get up again? That's the question. So Paul's asking. Did Israel stumble that they never got up again? Are they permanently put aside that they won't, they won't ever recover? If it's a permanent fall, if God is through with Israel, that's what he's asking. And you know what the answer is? May it never be. God forbid. Don't even think such a thought. Why then did they stumble? Why has God set Israel aside temporarily? You want to know? Here's the purpose. There's a few purposes here that are kind of related. Let me give you one purpose. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So let's stop there. When I saw this this week, I was so excited. And you ought to be excited. Why has God set aside Israel? So that you might come to faith. That Gentiles might hear. When the Jewish people turns away from Christ, God turn the gospel away from them as a nation. And he sent out his message into all the world so that Gentiles might hear the gospel. God has a purpose in Israel stumbling, but it isn't their rejection, but the Gentile salvation. God has turned to the Gentiles. And what he's doing in this day and age is taking out a people from the world and he's building his church. In fact, the word church means a called out one's. And most of the people in this day and age who are called out are Gentiles. And you are testimony to that fact. Matthew chapter 21, which is the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of of Jesus being the Messiah and the kingdom being offered. Matthew 21, 43. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. From who? The Jewish people and be given to a nation producing the fruit of it. Matthew 22, verse 1, Jesus answered and spoke to them again in parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, behold, I prepared my dinner and my oxen and my fatted, uh, fattened livestock. All are butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. And he's saying, come to the wedding feast of my son. But they paid no attention. They went their way, one to his own farm and another to his business. And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. And he's speaking of Israel. He's speaking of Israel. But the king was enraged and he sent his armies and destroyed those murders and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. The point of the parable is go and invite those who were never even interested to begin with. And those are the Gentiles. In Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8, Jesus meets a Gentile, has great faith. Matthew 8, 10. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, 
Truly, I, I say to you, I've not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And it was a centurion who, who asked him to come and I believe it's heal his, his child. And, and Lord, you just give the word and that's it. And Jesus said, I haven't found faith like this in Israel. Look at verse 11. And I say to you, to you Jews, he's saying, that many shall come from the east and the west and recline a table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom, that is the Jewish people, shall be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, it's going to be Gentiles who will come. The kingdom is not exclusively Jewish. It's going to be Gentiles in the kingdom, and many Jews will not be there. In Acts chapter 13, the apostle Paul and Barnabas are preaching at Antioch. In verse 46, Actually, 45, it says the Jews saw the crowds and they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things that Paul was saying. And they were blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and says, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. It was necessary that the gospel go to you first. Since you repudiated and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. That same concept is repeated in Acts chapter 18, verse 6, when Paul is at Corinth. And in Acts chapter 28, when Paul... Is at Rome in his own quarters and is held prisoner and the Jewish leaders come to see him. He says, I'm turning to the Gentiles. When the Jewish people as a nation rejected the Messiah, the gospel went to the Gentile world. And the church came into being made up of a majority of Gentiles and a remnant of Jews. And those who think that God is through with Israel have totally missed it. They don't understand that for 2,000 years, God has been using them. Their sin, that is. Even in their disobedience, God has used them to bring salvation to the Gentiles. You see, God is working out his sovereign plan, his sovereign purpose, even through Israel's disobedience. God didn't say, oh, look what they did. I didn't know this would happen. Plan B. No, it's always been God's plan. Always been God's plan. God doesn't have plan B. He knows the the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning, and he's got it all worked out. So Israel setting aside, is it futile? No, God is using their sin to fulfill his purposes, and the setting aside fulfills that. In this day and age, God is reaching out to the Gentiles like he has never reached out to them before. Now there's another purpose to Israel stumbling. Look at the rest of verse 11. To make them jealous. Salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel Jealous. The purpose of God in setting Israel aside isn't to abandon them, it's to save them. And God chooses to save them in this day and age. You know how? By Gentiles living a godly, attractive Christian life. And Jews look at that and say, you have something I don't have. I want it. I need it. It is obvious that you have something that I never have even touched. That's God's plan. That's God's plan. God wants to provoke Jewish people to jealousy. Now, jealousy, not in, the, not in a sinful way. It's, it's in a positive sense. Emulation. That's what he says in Romans 10, 19. Moses, uh, but I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? At the first, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. You know what your purpose is? Part of the purpose of the, the predominantly Gentile church it is to live such an attractive Christian life that Jewish people will become Gentile, not Gentile, they'll become jealous by your behavior. You see, when Jewish people 
see the reality of salvation in the lives of Gentiles, they should want it in their own life. They should say, look what we've missed out on. I don't even own a Bible. Most Jewish people, unless they're Orthodox Jews in this day and age, especially in this country, do not even own a Bible. Look what they, they, they're interested in the Hebrew scriptures. They understand about, about God. They know about the Old Testament. Oftentimes people ask me how to witness to Jewish people. There are a few things I could tell them. I mean, the gospel is the gospel. I would say stay away from certain terms that would be misunderstood. But for the most part, what I would have to say to somebody is make sure you're living the kind of life before them that they'll want. I mean, yes, verbally share the gospel, but let them see Christ in you. Befriend them. Let them get so close to you that they see that what you have is the real thing. From a human standpoint, the reason that I wanted Christ, I understand that God was working in my heart, but the reason that I wanted Christ as an 18-year-old freshman at the University of South Florida is because I met a Gentile Christian who I could not deny that what he had in his life was real. I watched him. I observed him for six months. I saw him through trials. I saw him through good times. I saw him go through all kinds of things in six months. I was observing him. He doesn't know this. But at that time, he didn't know it. I was watching him. I wanted to see a flaw in his life because most of the people that I had heard take the name of Christ were simply hypocrites. And I wanted to make sure, as I was reading the word of God, that there was reality to this fellow's life. And after six months, I concluded that what he had, I didn't have. He had peace. He had joy. He had a purpose in his life. He had satisfaction in his life. And I didn't have that. And when I called upon the Lord... I was, it was because I was provoked to jealousy. I knew that what my friend had was lacking in my life. It's sad to say, though, that there is little in many Gentile Christians' lives that would ever attract a Jewish person to Christ. Sad to say that. In fact, we'd have to say there, the same thing is true of Hebrew Christians. But since we're speaking about Gentile Christians now, let me say that, you know how the Jewish community perceives Gentile Christians? They perceive us, by and large, for the most part, they perceive the church not as an attractive, positive people who have something that's really special. They perceive us as a people who don't do anything, as a people who only say, I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I don't do this, and my Christianity is a whole lot of I don't do's. What the Jewish community, in fact, the world is looking for is somebody who does something, who has something that is attractive, something that is worth having, something that's positive. But we're so isolated that we're not even out amongst them that they could see us. And that's why I say befriend the Jewish person. Let them see that what you have is reality. Believe me, they don't have that in their lives. They may laugh, and most of the comedians and television are Jewish people. That is because there is an emptiness in their lives. I also need to say that the Jewish community looks at many Gentile Christians and says, what you have, I don't want. You see, they hear about Christians and especially Christian leaders who are unfaithful to their spouse, who cheat in business, who gossip about others. And they say, look, why should I want, why should I want what you have? I don't have what you have, and I live a life that's morally better than you. But you see, the plan of God, according to verse 11, is to make them jealous, to make them hungry, to whet their, their thirst for spiritual reality. I remember a sad story in which some Gentile believers witnessed to my mom and dad years ago. 
They witnessed to them. They told them the gospel. And they were good witnesses in the sense that they, they spoke of the gospel. And I appreciate that. But one day, they were together at a restaurant. And they ordered a meal. Obviously, that's what you do at a restaurant. But it wasn't the meal and it wasn't the conversation there that ruined their testimony. It was afterwards when they never left a tip. My parents' value system was based on helping people who, who rely on tips to live. And very money-oriented. And when they saw that, you know that all the things that those Gentile believers had said to my parents went down the drain. They would never listen to them again. May I say that what God is looking for is his, his people today living a life that's so attractive, that speaks volumes to an unbelieving Jewish and, yet gen, and yes, Gentile community as well, that people would want what we have. Is God through with Israel? No. Their setting aside is not full. There's a remnant. I'm part of it. There are others in this church that are part of it. So their setting aside is not futile. There's a purpose, and the purpose is to save people. If you're without Christ, whether you're Jewish or Gentile, the point is God wants to save you. If you're a Gentile, God has turned to you, and his arms are now open to you, and you need to trust Christ as the one who's paid for your sins. If you're Jewish, God's arms are still open to you too, to a disobedient people, and he wants you to come to him and accept Christ as his Messiah and the one who's paid for your sins. That's, that's the purpose. That's what God is doing today. So for Christians, we say the message is live an attractive life. Don't you dare say one thing and live another thing. Otherwise, don't say anything. Just be quiet. But the point is, get your life in order and then say something as well. Let's bow for prayer. If you don't know Christ, God's purpose in setting aside the Jewish people is that you might come to know Christ. And I invite you to the Savior. I invite you to embrace him as the one who has paid for all of your sins. And I invite you to call upon the Lord right where you are. Trust him. And then I invite you to come up after the service, speak to one of our counselors, myself, and we'll, ex we'll sit down with you and explain the way of salvation even more clearly and give you the guidance and direction that you need. If you're a Christian, you better examine your life because God's purpose in this day and age is to save people. I mean, that's one of his purposes. And he does it through a godly influence of people. You who are Gentile believers have a magnificent responsibility to live out that life before a watching world, and especially a, a Jewish community. Have you made anyone jealous lately? Or do they look at you and say, they don't do anything. Their life is a whole list of rules and regulations of what they don't do. What do they do? Let's show them by the grace of God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its richness. Thank you, Lord, for its practicality. Lord, by the mercies of God, we do want to present ourselves to you. Living sacrifices available to be used to provoke others to jealousy by the attractiveness of Christ in us. Father, for those here who may not know Christ, draw them to yourself that they might accept the Savior. For we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen, and thank you, Pastor Steve. How about you? 
If you claim the name of Christ, does your life consist merely of rules and regulations, or is your life one that is based on a dynamic relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? A life that radiates joy, peace, confidence, hope, and integrity is a rare thing indeed, but it should be typical of anyone who has trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These Bible classes of the air, adapted from Pastor Steve's pulpit messages, are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We are grateful for the gifts and prayers that help keep us on the air. To learn how you can contribute, please stop by our website, versebyverseradio.org. Today's class concludes a three-part message. If you would like to hear the entire message, you can order a CD or cassette by calling us at 727-239-0306. That number again is 727-239-0306. I'm glad that you could be with us today. Now there's more to come in this study of Romans chapter 11 and God's present relationship with the nation of Israel. What is the driving force behind what God is doing with Israel? It is His mercy. Pastor Steve will consider that next time, and I hope you can join us for the next Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.